On today's Cigar Dave Show podcast, we're joined by longtime friend Glenn Loop. Glenn just stepped down as executive director of the Cigar Rights of America after a very long tenure. He'll join us today. The Cigar Dave Show podcast is presented by Gurkha, the world's finest cigars, including the Gurkha Real. Connecticut wrapper comes to Gurkha, mild, creamy, and smooth. GurkhaCigars.com. By New World from A.J. Fernandez. There's a new world for every palate. From the mild New World Connecticut to the medium New World Cameroon to the ultra-flavorful, rich, bold New World Oscuro. AJFCigars.com. And by Davidoff of Geneva. Introducing the new Camacho Nicaragua. Forged in fire. Harnessing the wild flavors of Nicaragua. Camacho. Live loud. Available at DavidoffGeneva.com. This is the Cigar Dave Podcast with The General. Long-ass greetings and salutations, a long-ass snappy salute. Semper Delictatio, always pleasure, long live the Alpha. Make America great again. Make masculinity great again. Screw the enemies of pleasure. Screw the Democrats. Screw Biden. Screw Harris. Screw all the cheating, lousy enemy of America bastards. I am fired up. As you know, Alphas, I am a major Trump supporter, and I will tell you we are on the verge of a civil war. I will save that for another time. As of right now, Biden is leading in Pennsylvania, Georgia, Nevada, of course, with a lot of shady dealings that took place in Michigan, Pennsylvania, Wisconsin. I'll save that for a bold Alpha. But for now, leading has not declared victory. Let's see if President Trump can pull the inside straight. A longtime friend of the Cigar Dave Show, a man that I've known for many years since actually he began as the executive director of the Cigar Rights of America, Glenn Loop is our guest. Glenn just stepped down after a long tenure. Glenn, great to have you with us. Quite the tumultuous, stressful week. As always, great to be with you, Dave. I really appreciate uh, joining you in this post-election time. I can't believe it. I don't remember the last time we spoke, but it seems like yesterday when I was up at 4.15 in the morning watching uh, President-elect Trump <laughs> yep. and the Hillary was walking off the stage, and it seems like yesterday that that occurred, and here we are again with an entirely, entirely new political climate. And we will get into that, no doubt about it, because it will have an effect on cigars. The Democrats are the enemies, not only of America, but the enemies of cigars. We have seen it with the FDA regulation that was launched. We have, for four years, attempted to sue the FDA, to get the Trump administration, to get the FDA to back off regulations. And one thing I've learned, Glenn, no matter who the president is, the entrenched deep state bureaucracy runs the show until we blow them out of the water and blow them up, nothing's going to change. Well, there's no doubt about that. And thank goodness that during the course of two really major occurrences in the last four years have, I think, worked to save the industry. One is uh, the Trump administration didn't make the rules and regulations any worse. And, and, you know, there's an operative term in politics. If they leave you alone, it's a complete victory. So whereas the rule may not have been rolled back, it didn't uh, get made any worse, um, didn't advance any of the worst parts of the regulation. And in fact, the agency comes out and says we were, quote unquote, their lowest level for priority for enforcement. 
the flip side of that is we had we were blessed by a series of court decisions that really helped position the industry for the future. And those court decisions are going to be instrumental in getting our message across, the industry's message across, if you will, uh, if there's a new administration in Washington. And all that together, coupled with the research that's been generated, it's going to be an entirely new day, probably, to begin making the case all over again as to why the federal government should have higher priorities than regulating premium handmade cigars. Glenn, let's talk about your a term, your uh, tenure at the Cigar Rights of America. You were really involved before there was a Cigar Rights of America officially. And I remember, I think the first time we met, there was a meeting of a whole group of cigar manufacturers and retailers down at uh, the Biltmore in Coral Gables, down in the uh, Miami area. And I see this guy wearing a Colonel Sanders-type uh, suit, seersucker <laughs> suit, with, with a bow tie. And I'm like, who's that guy? <laughs> I, I said, the guy looks like he just stepped out of, I'm telling you, like, uh, you know, plantation somewhere in Georgia, you know, where, you know, the, 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 the bow tie and everything. And you pull it off, Glenn. I can't pull off a bow tie <laughs> except for a tuxedo. But you wear it all the time. You, there's certain guys that can pull it off. My grandfather, Cigar Abe, could. You could. I can't. But I'm like, who is this guy? So that was what, 15 years ago? Uh, that was 12, 12 to 13, I think. But okay. I, actually, I remember it was April the 9th, 2009. I started on uh, December 2008. The first industry meeting there at the Biltmore in Miami that you were at was April the 9th, 2009, because it was my first industry meeting. And it was where I looked out over the crowd and, and they, you know, CRE's the impetus for creating CRE was, was the S-chip taxes, the taxes on cigars to fund the children's health insurance program. And I looked out over the crowd and I said, uh, I'll never forget it. I said, boys and girls. S-CHIP was just practice. The president right. was just getting ready to sign the Tobacco Control Act. And I said, anytime you give a federal agency the authority to do something, they're going to do it. And too many in the industry uh, thought that the agency would be consumed with cigarettes and smokeless products into the next decade, into the next generation. And I said, kids, they're going to come after you. And 12 months later, they put their first ad in the federal uh, register that, that they intended to come after premium cigars. And uh, not to belabor the whole, whole story, but that was when we had to start to go on offense with Congress, put an office in Washington. The IPCPR moved from Georgia to Washington, and it's been a full court press ever, ever since. And it's not going away despite any court decision or any political action. Now that that Tobacco Control Act is the law of the land, it's always going to be a cloud, and it's why the political machine always has to be on. And it's going to get worse. Now, Glenn, let's talk about your prediction. Even though you are no longer the executive director of the Cigar Rights of America, and you actually, your term ended officially on Election Day. You couldn't have waited. Did you ever think <laughs> that if you stayed another day, Trump most likely would have won? Did you ever think that maybe leaving just that day would be a bad omen? Well, I... I worked with the board on a, the actual, and I thought, well, there's a lot of symbolism in election. And, you know, I went through a second term of Obama, well, the, the Obama era and, and the first term here of, of President Trump. I just thought there was a lot of great symbolism in departing. But, you know, maybe we didn't call that right. I'm not sure. But it 
it was seemed like a renewed time. No matter who wins, it's a national time of renewal for political junkies. It's New Year's, <laughs> right? Um, so I thought it was the right time to to, in light of the litigation consuming the the uh, the organization and the like, I thought it was the right time to kind of leave on my terms, if you will. But the industry is a part of my heart. It's a part of my soul. And uh, I look forward to it, providing advice and counsel wherever it is needed. Uh, but it's a new day in the neighborhood. And there's some real threats that we can chat about when you're ready. Yeah. And 12, 13 years, Glenn, that's a great, in the world of uh, lobbying, that is a great tenure. And it's not easy because you know, there are, I think, well, how many members of the Cigar Rights of America? There's 30 manufacturers, 40 manufacturers? Uh, we, well, often on, it's a coalition of about 65, and about 30 of them are diligent, diligent contributors. <laughs> yeah, so, and, and let me just say this, that, you know, in the cigar industry, if you've got 30 cigar manufacturers in a room, there's 55 opinions. It is not an easy room well to navigate. Well put, yeah, it's not an easy room to navigate because everybody is used to running their own show. Everybody's got their opinions. And ultimately, when you meld everybody together in a room where they have to work cohesively together, that is not an easy train to keep on the tracks. And you did an exceptional job. And also, there were a lot of times when money was required. Lobbyists, lawyers, lawsuits, it's very expensive. And as Eric Newman likes to say, you're either... Um, on the you're you're at the table or you're on the menu, exactly. and that is a great saying. And for a long time, the cigar industry really didn't have to worry about being on the menu. They really operated under the radar. They weren't lumped together with cigarettes. But then, when you had a lot of these ultra left zealots that came in, they didn't care about whether it was a premium cigar or a cigarette or pipe tobacco to them. Tobacco is tobacco is tobacco, mm -hmm. and they were going to do right. anything they could to, to go ahead and 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 regulate it and make life difficult and miserable for cigar the cigar manufacturers. And Glenn, real quickly, how did you end up getting involved in the cigar industry? Well, it was because between two thousand one and two thousand eight, I had my own lobbying consulting firm here in Virginia, and the Cigar Association of Virginia. We helped create that during the 2008, uh, I'm sorry, the 2006 General Assembly was the first time a smoking ban was introduced in Virginia. And we have a local steakhouse that had the most amazing bar that was cigar friendly. And it was physically attached to our local over 100 year old cigar shop, Milan Tobacconist. And this first bill comes up for a smoking ban, and I just said, how dare the Virginia legislature tell us we cannot enjoy a cigar in that wonderful steakhouse that welcomed us in the bar with cigars. And so that threat galvanized the creation of pulling together the retailers in the state. And so uh, Havana Connections in Richmond and Scott Regina with Emerson's in Virginia Beach, our local shop, Gary Pesh in Northern Virginia, came together as a coalition in 2006, 7, and 8 to fight off that uh, that effort. And July 2008, not to belabor the story, but we brought in Rocky Patel to help wine and dine the House Republicans on that smoking ban bill. And uh, I'm driving him to an event at our local shop, and he says, we're starting this thing, this thing called CRA. You want to run it? 
And uh, the, not to belabor the story, but we wrangled back and forth for the rest of the year. In December of 2008, I said to my wife, how many times in your life do you get to help create something nationally from the, from the ground up that you truly believe in? And didn't look back, and that was you know, 12 years, 11 months, 12 hours, and 14 minutes ago. Amazing. Well, certainly a great run. And again, I remember the first time I saw you and didn't know really who you were, but I saw this guy in a bow tie and I've never seen anybody in the cigar industry wear a bow tie before. <laughs> Guayaberas, yes, but bow ties, no. So you certainly set the new fashion uh, statement when you joined 12, 13 years ago. Glenn Loop, the just uh, re not retired, but just departed uh, from CRA <laughs> as the executive director. Tell you what I want to do, Glenn. When we come back, I want to get into. I tell you, you've probably got a cigar in front of you right now, correct? I've got a humidor full of cigars in front of me. Well, I do too here at Command Center Alpha and Humidor 1A. So when we come back, we'll conduct the International Cigar Litation and Libation Ceremony. And then we will get into discussing what the cigar industry and cigar consumers may see as a result of some really tectonic shifts in the Washington, D.C. Uh, Senate, House, and Executive Branch. So we will continue with Glenn Loop. Gurkha has long been known for making the world's finest cigars. From its packaging to its construction, every part of a Gurkha cigar is exceptional. And for those of you that are looking for a creamy, mellow to medium cigar with notes of subtle sweetness and subtle tastes of cedar, the Gurkha Real is for you. Featuring an Ecuadorian Connecticut wrapper, Dominican Olor binder, Atop Dominican, Criollo, and Nicaraguan long fillers, the Gurkha Real is a delightful sensory experience on your taste buds. Not overpowering, pleasant, smooth, a great cigar any time of day. Give the GurkaReal.com a try today. If you're looking for an any time of day cigar, the Gurkha Real is for you. Check it out at GurkhaCigars.com. With an unlimited and secure supply of pleasure sticks available for the general to enjoy, it's time for National Cigar Litation Maneuvers. Well, I have in my hand the October 2020 Officers Club selection featuring three cigars, three Gurkha Heritage cigars. Long considered the creme de la creme of premium cigars, Gurkha Always top of the line when it comes to quality cigar presentation. And I've got this Gurkha Heritage Manufactured Nicaragua. This was a collaboration of Juan Lopez, their VP of sales, that wanted to create something very unique. He wanted to create a medium to full-bodied cigar. So he started with an Ecuadorian Habano wrapper. And it's got a three-country filler. Dominican Republic, Nicaraguan, and... Juan decided to put in a strip of sweet USA Pennsylvania broadleaf. Although Pennsylvania is leaving a very bad taste in my mouth right now because of the shenanigans being played in the presidential election. But that has nothing to do with the phenomenal cigar tobaccos that are grown in Pennsylvania a Dutch territory of the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania. So the strip of Pennsylvania Broadleaf adds a little bit of sweetness, a little bit of savory spice. And this Gurkha Heritage delivers nice notes of dark chocolate, coffee, spice. 
And what I like about it, it's got a very unique cedar sleeve on the bottom. I'm going to pull it out of the cellophane. And you can pull it off as I've just done. And you can then use that cedar strip, that cedar spill, to light your cigar. Light. What I'm going to do is, today, I won't use it because I'll get the cedar all over the place. But you take your litation device, whether it is a match, whether it is a, a, uh, a lighter, light the cedar strip. And what will happen is you will get a nice aroma and flavor of that cedar that's imparted into the cigar. It's a very elegant way to light your cigar. So give that a try. It's got, you've got the cedar uh, uh, covering right on the bottom of the cigar. Use that. Take a, Cut it into strips, and boom, you are absolutely good to go. Your fellow cigar connoisseurs will be very, very impressed. And I've got the Toro, which is a nice 6.5-inch by 54 ring-gauge size cigar. Looking at about 10.5 bucks per cigar. Once again, we're giving you about $33, $34 worth of cigars for $22.95. And if you are not a member, you should join. Cigardave.com, click on Officers Club. Three great cigars shipped to you every month in a Cigar Dave Officers Club Ziploc pouch. Makes a great holiday gift. Christmas, Hanukkah, great gift for your loved one, for your friend, relative, business associate, boss. Just go to Cigardave.com, click on Officers Club. Join up for three great cigars every month. Cigar-altering and highly sharpened leaf-exposing device. When I happened to be down in South Florida back at the end of June, I went to Gurkha headquarters, spent a half day there, and while I was perusing through some items in the warehouse, I found a whole bunch of beautiful Gurkha stainless steel self-sharpening double-edged guillotines. So, of course, I grabbed a few. And this is a very thin but very elegant cutter. Leave it up to the folks at Gurkha. They really know how to create some very unique swag, and this will do a great job. And what I like about it, it's very thin. You can put it in your pocket, you forget it's there. But a great way to cut your cigar. So I've got a Gurkha double-edged stainless steel guillotine on my Gurkha Heritage. Maximum BTU flame-throwing and heat-producing apparatus. Well, you can hear the giant blowtorch of a flame coming from my Cigar Dave Research and Development Lab, CCK, the Chinese Communist Killer. Actually, I wonder if this works on Dems. You know what it does? Yep, we'll call it the D double D, the Dem Destroyer. That would be great. Line up those Dems. Let's get a civil war going. Boom! Gone. And you know what the great thing about that would be? We would eliminate all the regulation on cigars, get rid of the, the zealots in the FDA, Ah, life would truly be good. Life, the, the United States would be paradise if we could get rid of the enemies of pleasure. But this is the CCK, and I will also uh, maybe rename it the Double D, the Dem Destroyer. That's what I would use today. Cigar, Cigar pre-lightation checklist complete. No faults detected. Area clear of all enemies of pleasure. Approval to go throttle up in three, two, one. Perfect cut. As always, and now what I will do is take my Double D, my Dem Destroyer, or CCK. Democrats, Chinese Communists, they're all the same. All right, let's toast the foot of the cigar. And as I do so, Glenn Loop rejoins us. Glenn, aren't you glad that I'm not politically correct? I mean, how boring would I be if I was politically correct and, you know, just told the, the D.C. party line? That would be horrible. Well, I think it's an argument why you should put the show in Washington and just become the anti-establishment voice 
I think mm. there's something to be said for this. It's in beautiful downtown Swampland, Washington. Well, I'll tell you what my prediction is. I think we will see a media empire being created by Donald J. Trump called the uh, Trump Network or Trump TV. There's no doubt in my mind. And we will see great things from Do- Donald Trump is not going to go away. Mark my words. The movement he has built, the Republican Party. And Glenn, I know that you've been involved both on the Democrat Republican side lobbying. But I will tell you this, and I, I don't think anybody could disagree. The Republican Party was dead. Dead, dead, dead until President Trump came in and reinvigorated it. It was dead with these, I call them old, you know, white bread crackers. The Mitch McConnells that are 80, 90, the Mitt Romneys, the guys that are just archaic, that they're not the ethnic guys. You want to know why the Democrats for many years were successful? Because they had the Italians, the Irish, the Jews, the Poles, the guys that had big fucking balls. Okay, that weren't afraid to get into the street and get into a a, a street fight and brawl. And that's what the Republican establishment never could figure out. There were always these genteel, you know, white bread crackers and said, oh, we can't do that. Like Mitt Romney. Oh, no, I can't return an attack on President Obama. And what happens? He got the living fucking shit beaten out of him. President Trump was the first Republican to say, if a Dem kicks me in the nuts, I'm going to kick him back 10 times in the nuts. Then I'm going to stick my leather shoe up their ass 10 times harder. He's the first politician, Republican. uh, I don't even call him a politician, but the first Republican to really understand that. And you look at the results in this presidential election, record number of minorities, Hispanics, blacks, Jews, Muslims voted for President Donald J. Trump. That doesn't happen with the old Republicans. And I'm telling you, there's going to be a splintering off. The Dems already are at each other. So you're going to see the ultra-socialists, the squad, the uber-leftists, they'll break away. Then you'll have the Dems. I don't call them moderates. They're liberals. They'll break away. And then you'll have the Republicans. You'll have the old establishment Republicans, and then you'll have the Trumpians. I'm telling you, Glenn, I think we could see three, four parties in this country. Well, I think I'm having a flashback to last Sunday. Uh, soon to be former Virginia Congressman Denver Regelman was on uh, one of the talk shows, and he he put it succinctly. He said, "America has been failed by its two-party system," and it's something that's been feared by statesmen since John Adams. And I think it's time for some serious political soul searching for that. Glenn, I totally agree. It is far past time that we have more than two primary parties. And I believe without any question that Donald Trump has started a revolution. This is not going away. When you look at the coalition that he has built, look at his rallies. It wasn't just white people. You had blacks, you had Italians, you had Jews, you had Poles, you had every religion, you had uh, Hispanic. You had everybody, blue-collar workers, white-collar workers. And finally, we had a president, have a president, that spoke up for the American worker. And I think the Democrats have become the party of the, the big cities, the coastal elites, and now the Republicans or the Trumpians, the party of those Americans who put America first, the workers, the unions, the deplorables, It is about time 
that the people that make this country great and make this country run are properly recognized and represented. This is a huge monumental change. I'll tell you something else monumental that I need right now. A giant drink with all the stress going on this week. Scotch, bourbon, and beer commence thirst-quenching libationary maneuvers. Well, i got to be honest, I'm not in a celebratory mood. Four years ago, when President Donald Trump was declared the winner of the 2016 presidential election, about 3.30 in the morning, I was wired. I was fired up. I couldn't even sleep. I got to my office at 6.30 in the morning. I got two hours of sleep. Couldn't wait to get, to get going. And I came into my office, and one of my associates on the same floor as Command Center Alpha, I brought him into my office, and I said, I've got a very special libation. I've got some old Forster birthday bourbon that's about 15 years old. And at 7 in the morning, each of us had a shot in a snifter of the old Forster birthday bourbon. Celebratory times. Been four great years under President Trump. Well, I'm telling you right now, I'm very concerned about what's going to happen in the next four years. I've got an idea. I'll, I'll talk about that on a bold out. Al- you know what? We'll do a bold alpha tomorrow where I'm going to really let loose, and I'll tell you exactly what I predict, what I think is going to happen. But for now, I'm not in the mood for anything super fancy, super expensive. I mean, I love my Gurkha heritage. That I'm not going to skimp on. It's a great cigar, and I'm thoroughly enjoying that. But I'm not in the mood to open up anything expensive to celebrate. But I need a drink. I need some just basic alcohol in the system. So I pulled out good old-fashioned basic bottle of Johnny Walker Red. Going to cost you probably 17, 18 bucks for a bottle, sometimes less, maybe more, 20 bucks, something like that. Nothing overly expensive. It's your basic Johnny Walker. A little spicy, a little smoky, kind of on the lighter side. Nothing overly fancy. It's not as good as Johnny Walker Black. Certainly not as great as any of these single malt scotches. But you know what? For now, I need alcohol in my system. And I can tell you that on election night, yeah, I was a little stressed. Still am. So my blood pressure, I normally take my blood pressure on a regular basis. Just like to keep an eye on it. So my blood pressure normally runs one... Anywhere between like 117 to about 130, over like 70 to 80, 85, depending on the time of day. It always fluctuates. That's normal. No problem. Well, I could tell. I was definitely stressed watching the bullshit going on. So I decided, just for the hell of it, let me go ahead and take my blood pressure. Sergeant Steve, would you like to take a guess of what my blood pressure was? 150 over 95. Almost. 164 over 108. Whoa. I took that to my sister. She said, okay, you definitely need a major libation right now and to just kind of like meditate and just calm down. So that's exactly what I did. I got a beautiful, nice, big glass of Balvini Portwood. I poured that, enjoyed that, sipped on it, relaxed. Fired up a cigar, it was late at night, it was about one in the morning, fired up a cigar, I had Baron, canine Baron next to me, I've read articles that if you pet your dog, it brings the blood pressure down, I did that, retook it about 20 minutes later and it was back down to normal. But you can certainly understand, Sergeant Steve, why it would be stress, could you not? Absolutely. 
And it yep. still is. It still is. I guarantee if I check it. But the good news is, cigar is helping me out. I got to keep saying to myself, relax, calm down, let the blood pressure calm down. But I tell you one thing, I will not be doing yoga. You know, people say, oh, do yoga, it's great. I've done yoga before, but I'm not. But once I heard Hillary Clinton say she does yoga, and the thought of Hillary Clinton with that fat ass in a downward dog with that ass looking right up at you, forget it. It just, there's no way on earth I want to do anything to do with yoga. So let me take a sip here and let me say cheers. Mm. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah. It's got a nice light, spicy, smoky, a little bit of oakiness. Not a lot of warmth. It's basic. 20, 25 bucks for a bottle. It's the basic. I mean, if you go on an airplane, we are on the airlines, usually they'll have either Johnny Walker Red or they'll have Doers or Chivas, the blended scotch as their basic. And then sometimes they'll have, depending on if it's international, they may have a single malt scotch. But usually that's the scotch selection that you will see on board an aircraft. So nothing overly crazy. Again, I'm just looking for the basic alcohol intake. Get that alcohol into my body. Relax me. And they say that alcohol is a depressant. How much more depressed could I possibly be after seeing the stealing of this bullshit election? How much, I mean, how much more stressed can I be? Unbelievable. So as we record this right around one in the afternoon, I've got the TV and Glenn will rejoin us in one moment. He had to just go take a quick call. But I'm looking, Arizona, treasonous Biden. Treasonous Joe Biden now up by 43,800. Georgia, treasonous Biden up by 1584. Nevada, treasonous dementia Biden up by 20,500. North Carolina, President Trump up by 76,701. Pennsylvania, where Trump had an 800,000 vote lead. Magically, mysteriously, magically, they're, was it, Frosted Lucky Charms, they're magically delicious. Phony ballots, they're magically, they magically have the ability to change the vote count. Biden up by 9,800 votes in Pennsylvania. And I just see now on Fox News, treasonous Fox News, by the way. I mean, they're, they're Arnie Mishkin, Arnon Mishkin, who is their director of the election desk. He called Arizona like that. But he waited three hours to call Florida when Florida was in the bag. Everybody knew it. In fact, one of the top-notch data analysts when it comes to politics is a gentleman by the name of Richard Barris. Rich Barris. Big data polls. At 8.15, he looked and said, it's done. It's over. He said, Trump is getting, is within 100,000 votes of Biden and Dade. That is over. He said, he's splitting Pinellas. He's splitting Hillsborough. I-4 quarter overalls going for him. Panhandle hadn't even come in yet. He said, that's it. I'm making the call. 8.12 p.m. But it took Fox three hours. A lot of people not happy with Fox phone news. In any event, I'm just seeing a Chiron graphic. Biden expected to speak to the nation tonight. Unbelievable. Unreal. Not good, my fellow alphas. I will tell you that right now. It is not good. And I believe as... Well, you know what? I'm going to save all my comments for Bold Alpha for tomorrow. 
because I've got some very controversial statements that I will make. I'll save those for tomorrow. In fact, I will do a commercial-free show tomorrow. I will do a commercial-free show, and I will just go on and on and tell it just like I believe it is and where we are in this country. We are at the precipice of a very dangerous situation. I'll leave it at that. But tomorrow, maybe around noon, we will go ahead and, uh, and I'll record that uh, probably tomorrow morning, and we will drop that midday tomorrow. All right. When we come back, we'll be rejoined by Glenn Loop as we will talk about what changes he predicts we anticipate in Washington to the cigar industry, to the cigar manufacturers, to you as a cigar consumer as a result of the most likely scenario as of now that treasonous dementia Joe Biden becomes president at least for probably 90 days until Barack Obama and Pelosi get uh, Biden to be declared under the 25th Amendment to be uh, not prime, ready for prime time to hold office due to health reasons, unable to function in that capacity, and they move Kuki Kamala Harris into the Oval Office. What a fucking disaster. It doesn't get any worse than that. To commemorate the founding, the discovery of the new world, A.J. Fernandez teamed up with his father, Ishmael, for the very first time to create the New World lineup of cigars from A.J. Fernandez. And there is a new world for every cigar connoisseur's taste palette. For those of you that like a mild, creamy cigar, first up, without any question, the A.J. Fernandez New World Connecticut is for you. If you are looking for more of a medium-bodied, spicy cigar, not overly spicy, just enough, I would suggest the New World Cameroon. And for those of you that are looking for an ultra-flavorful, bold, rich taste experience, the New World Oscuro would be the choice. There is a New World from A.J. Fernandez for every cigar taste palette. Check it out, AJFCigars.com, a new world for everyone. Glenn, we left off talking about the need for more than just a two-party system. It is archaic why we only have two parties, and I really believe that now with the, the tremendous infighting going on in the Democrat Party, we saw it on their Congressional Caucus conference call, where you have a more moderate, still liberal, Democrat saying we've got to stop talking about socialism, we've got to stop talking about defunding the police. Then you have on the other side the squad and AOC and those ultra, ultra socialist loons saying, no, we need to get even even more militantly left. And now you've got the milk toast Republicans who are afraid of their own shadow. And now you've got a whole contingency of new Republicans, people that are loyal to Donald Trump, not necessarily the Donald or the, the Republican Party, but to the Donald Trump ideas of America first and looking out for American workers and finally America getting their fair share, the Trumpians, as I call them. It's really time. Do you think you'll see that happen? You're up in Washington all the time. What do you think? Well, I think there's an appetite for a new approach to politics. And whether you're in the Trump camp or the Democratic camp, uh, those that are more moderate, if you will, that are more pragmatic, that are more about cutting deals than political jockeying, I think there's a thirst for that. Now, whether it's very tough in this country to, to 
run an effective third party. Um, I recall, and I bet you recall, when John Anderson ran for president, who did pretty well. And uh, as a matter of fact, I've got a, he lectured at our college when I was in school, and I've still got a copy of his book over here, and the title of it sums up and is as real today as it was then. It was The title of the book is The American Economy We Need and Will Not Get from the Republicans or the Democrats. Right. And there was a, a John Anderson was a, a moderate Republican and ran as a third party candidate, did pretty well. Um, obviously, Ross Perot had an amazing influence over third party politics and, and did very well as well. Uh, cost Bush the presidency, probably, but it's more about the political nuance than philosophy that I'm talking about and how a third party candidate can do well in this country. You're going to have two members of the United States Senate that are not going to caucus with either party. Um, will we see a rise of that type of thing? I kind of, I kind of doubt it. But I think third party uh, opportunities. I think uh, governing more to the center than the hard right or the hard left is going to become a much more dominant subject in Washington. I think you know whether you agree with him or not. People, the senators like like uh, Joe Manchin of West Virginia, who's, you know, he voted for all of the Trump nominees to the Supreme Court and the cabinet uh, and turned around and, and voted for impeachment. Well, I don't you don't want to argue the rightness, wrongness of that type of thing, but it does highlight the role of deal makers. And I would probably want to keep the conversation more about the role of deal makers. And there's not enough of them in Washington. And I think you're going to see that rise on this debate about whether or not Pelosi ought to keep the speakership. There's moderate Democrats who don't think so. And I'm just, it's not a partisan statement on my part. It's political reality. There are people clamoring for change in that leadership. And that very well may happen in the Senate as well. So I think we're at a real crossroads in our national political dialogue. And I think those that are willing to cut deals, that are willing to negotiate across party lines, uh, that do have the conviction about what's right for America versus what's right for a party is going to become a much more dominant part of the, of the national conversation. And we need more candidates like President Trump that don't look out and say, what's in it for me? Because you see all these swamp rats that are former members of the House, members uh, or senators that are coming out of the Pentagon, generals, admirals. And what happens? They leave and they join the boards of the defense contractors. They, they join the boards of all these other swampy companies. They're all on the take. And President Trump was the first president that said, I am beholden to the American people, nobody else. And I think another problem, you bring up dealmakers. Back in the days when we had the smoke-filled back rooms, you had dealmakers. They lit their cigars, they had their scotch. You look at President Trump and Tip O'Neill, the former Speaker of the House when President Ronald Reagan was in the Oval Office. Every Friday they'd get together for cigars and for scotch. Now, they were different politically, but they still had a respect. You didn't have the rancor and the discourse that you have today. And so I believe we need to go back to the smoke-filled rooms. By, going, by, by exiting those smoke-filled rooms, we miss people saying, hey, let's socialize, we'll have a cigar. And Jose Oliva, who is going to be the outgoing speaker of the Florida House at the uh, end of the year, Jose 
when I go up to visit him in Tallahassee when he was a member of the House before he became Speaker, there were about four members of the Florida House that rented a, a, uh, a nice residence, and they had a big patio every night during session, about two-and-a-half, three-month session. Cigars, spirits, dominoes, socialization. And I remember he knew I was in Tallahassee for some uh, work for the Florida Association of Broadcasters. He said, you got to come over. So for three nights, I was there. And I'd be introduced to people, and they, she'd say, I said, well, are you Republican? Oh, no, no, I'm a Democrat down from South Florida. Then I'd talk to another one. No, I'm a Republican from here. But it was amazing. Everybody was socializing, getting together. Those days are long gone, and I think a big problem mm-hmm. is because we don't have those smoke-filled back rooms. There is no doubt about it. And I'll give you a living, one of the fondest memories I've got of the last dozen years. Uh, We used to have quarterly gatherings on the veranda at the the Morton's on Connecticut Avenue where we'd bring together staff and members that were fond of cigars in one night and just put the personalities aside. I know what you're going to (laughs) say, but but it, it was a case study on the left side of the we had this podium there and we were talking about cigars and and i think nestor miranda was there that night and we talked about cigars and regulation and the legislation and but it was a more of a social with just members and staff that enjoyed cigars and on one side was congressman john klein virtual tea party hardcore conservative of minnesota and the other side of him was jesse jackson jr pre-indictment oh boy. member of congress jesse right. jackson jr and Congressman Klein said, you know, and this is almost a verbatim quote, you know, we fight like cats and dogs up here every single day. We can't stand each other when we're in that room. But I know that when I get together at night with my friend Jesse Jackson Jr. over a cigar, he said over a cigar, I know we can figure out another answer, another way to do things. I know we can cut a deal. And. I thought, symbolize it. And then Jesse Jackson Jr. said, that makes a cigar an instrument of bipartisanship. Right. No, I, I agree that, that and, we definitely miss that. There's no doubt about it. You know, Harry Truman was fond of getting out of the White House and going up and having a cigar and bourbon with his buddies to play cards in the basement of the Capitol. Bring it back. <laughs> I, I agree with you. The problem also now is back in those days, you had members of the House and Senate that lived in Washington. So they would go out to dinner. Their wives uh, and the couples, they would go out to dinner. They were socially friendly. And then I think about maybe 15 years ago or so, you started to see this nonsense where members of the House live in their office or they they uh, have a crash pad with you know four, five, six other people. And then they would just fly out to their districts every Thursday and come back Monday. And that doesn't allow for really good socialization and the ability to get to know your other members. Remember, there's what, 435 members of the House? It's a lot of people. So you really don't get the opportunity to socialize with them because you're not in the same city for more than three days a week. Well, and it's just gotten so personal. That's been the most disturbing part of watching politics evolve. I mean, I've been a part of the political process since I got out of college in 86, and I've just witnessed the biggest fundamental change is how personally nasty it's gotten. It's gotten personal. And it's not like that moment with Congressman Klein and, and Congressman Jackson. Uh, it, it, it's genuinely gotten to be a bitter, bitter climate. And I think that's just 
it's just infiltrated our body politic. So, Glenn, now that we most likely, and I think there's going to be a fight. I just saw here on the TV in Command Center Alpha Humidor 1A that uh, the Nevada or the Los, I don't know if it's a Clark County of, of Las Vegas, the Nevada election board just came out and said now they've discovered, I think, 60,000 additional ballots, and it won't be until probably the weekend till they can clear those through. I mean, this is this is an absolute farce. It's 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 a three ring circus. It is a joke. And people it's Clark County, by the way, Clark County says we have to have all ballots counted by you ready for this November 12th. And this is what happens when a governor, a Democrat governor in a state that is not prepared for an influx, a huge rush of ballots. They don't have the experience. They don't have the laws in place. Just unilaterally says, we're going to do this. We're sending it out to everybody and gives them, you know, about 30, 45 days notice to ramp up for this. They just can't handle it. And you look at Florida now, which was the laughingstock in 2000. Florida is now the preeminent model in the country. When I heard of lines in Georgia and lines in all these, in New York State, I looked in, in Florida we didn't have lines. We had in Hillsborough County, which is the county where Tampa resides, where I am, I reside and where Command Center Alpha uh, is located. When they started early voting, got to be maybe 16, 17 years ago, they had four locations, then they had six locations that were open for two weeks. Now they have 26 locations. And on their website, it states, is there... A 15, up to 15-minute wait, 30-minute wait, an hour wait. And so I waited. I went on the website. They opened a voting facility for early voting at Raymond James Stadium where the Tampa Bay Buccaneers play. I checked. Went about 2 o'clock one afternoon, the second day of voting. Glenn, I was in and out in five minutes. And that included oh. the paperwork for, them, for me to give them my mail-in ballot saying, I want to vote in person. He put cancel on all the pages. I had to sign something, printed out a new ballot. I was in and out in five minutes and they had all the everything was efficient because we've had the years of experience and know how to deal with it and have implemented the laws to make it efficient but now you're going to see this thing drag out and you're going to see more litigation this is you're i don't care what biden does trump is not going to concede they're going to have lawsuits all over the place so this thing may go on for a while so let's let's assume and let's hope i'm wrong that um treasonous dementia joe biden becomes the president, at least for probably 90 days until either he is uh, declared by the 25th Amendment unfit to serve or he is whacked, one of the two, and that could happen with Obama and Kamala. Believe me, she's got the hook ready to go. But what do you think will happen with a Biden-slash-Kamala-slash-Obama administration in Washington to the cigar industry and for cigar consumers over the next four years? Well, I wish at this juncture the swamp had been drained a little bit more. <laughs> right. It never truly reached the deeper bowels of the bureaucracy that I wished it had. And, you know, there's only so much anybody can do in three and a half, three and three quarters years. Uh, but that's the, my one wish that, it, you know, no matter who occupies the White House, the swamp does, in fact, need to be drained. But to answer your question, and it parlays into this, is that. I'm very, very fearful of carryover legislation. I say carryover. It's got to be reintroduced in January. It's a new Congress. Um, it's going to be a hyper-partisan environment no matter who is occupying the White House. So we'll just leave that 
debate wide open. Right. But there are two bills that were introduced in the in the House and Senate this past year that are absolutely the most threatening anti-tobacco bills in in the probably the history of the Congress. But H, it was HR two three three nine and Senate Bill thirty one seventy four. The House bill was sponsored by Congressman Pallone of New Jersey, and the Senate bill sponsored chiefly by Senator Sherrod Brown of Ohio. And the Senate bill has 12 co-sponsors, all of them the traditional uh, coalition of anti-tobacco members. Uh, and But the House bill has 126 co-sponsors. And right now, I was just having a conversation with the Washington offices, and there's going to be a cross-referencing of those that are returning of those 126. But you can bank on that legislation being back. It expedites the all the FDA regulations on all tobacco products. Now, in the last Congress, to her credit, Congresswoman Donna Shalala, who will not be returning to Congress, uh, worked with Congresswoman Kathy Castor of Tampa to, for a premium cigar exemption. It was not an ideal exemption. It put a too high price point on cigars to get exempt. But at least it went on record for an exemption, recognizing there's a difference with premium handmade cigars. I think what the courts have done now since then even plays into that more because the courts and the agency are now putting forth a much more narrowly defined uh, premium handmade cigar definition to play into this. And the FDA has also gone on record about the the. Uh, lack of being a priority in enforcement. I think all that sends the right signal. But the Senate version of this bill with Sherrod Brown, and all these senators are back, all of them, wanted no amendments, wanted no amendments. Well, what does that mean for premium cigars? It means this is an incredibly threatening piece of legislation. It not only expedites and, and implements the regulations that would have to normally work their way through the bureaucratic process, it would do things like reaching into the marketplace and banning uh, any form of mail order tobacco, any form. Well, you know as well as I do what that has meant to helping a lot of brick and mortar stores stay afloat during the pandemic. And to have a piece of legislation like this that is truly threatening the livelihood of a lot of uh, American small businesses that dot Main Street, Main Street America is unfathomable. But you can bank that this legislation will be back in 2021. And I, I said all the Senate co-sponsors are, are back. I was wrong about one of them. Uh, Vice President-elect, potentially, potentially Harris was a co-sponsor of this legislation. I bring this up in one context. It, even if the bill doesn't go anywhere, it exists. It can serve as a platform for a new regulatory approach in a new, in a new administration. And I think therein lies the threat. It, it's the reverse of how our legislation to exempt has worked to the advantage of the premium cigar industry for the last decade. But putting a bill like this on, on the table, you know, it could be stonewalled and blocked by a couple of members of the United States Senate, hypothetically. You don't know who's in charge today, but hypothetically. But put that aside. The bill becomes a roadmap for future regulatory action. And I think that's the greatest. Th these two bills reintroduced in 2021 are the single greatest threat to the premium cigar industry today. Well, if, if, and let's face it, mail order, when the country was closed because of the Chinese Communist Party Wuhan virus, when there was, was a lockdown of businesses, non-essential businesses, 
the way people, consumers, cigar connoisseurs were able to purchase their cigars was either online or by mail order uh, or by calling their retailer who said, look, we've got to be closed, but we can go ahead and ship those cigars to you. So that would be, think about that. If they eliminated that and there was some other lockdown in the future, that would be disastrous on the cigar industry. Oh, there was a great case in point. Uh, my friend Alec, who used to be an Ashton rep, bought a cigar shop in Northern Virginia, Route 7 Cigars. Alec did not have an online presence at the beginning of the pandemic. He started getting flooded with phone calls from customers who love him and wanted to help him, wanted to help him stay in business. He immediately opened an online presence, and I think the word was everybody that bought from that website through Route 7 Cigars uh, was within you know 15 to 20 miles of the shop. But the shop couldn't open during the during the shutdowns that were affecting stores uh, across the across Virginia and across the country. But people wanted to support their local small business, and that that presence saved his business. I don't think we can dismiss case studies like that. And back to the federal legislation, uh, and I don't say this in a partisan context, but let's just say for the sake of discussion that the Democrats take the Senate as well. I, I think that puts added pressure on people like Bob Casey of Pennsylvania and Bob Menendez of New Jersey, who have historically supported this, this industry. It puts added pressure on, on Democrats like that to protect the industry. And I think their constituencies in Pennsylvania and New Jersey need to keep added pressure on them to say, listen, if the, if the Democrats take that chamber, we're going to need you now more than ever to work to protect the premium cigar industry. And the question is whether there are more enemies of the cigar industry rather than there are protectors of the cigar industry. And that remains to be seen because Florida, Pennsylvania, Connecticut, very big states in terms of cigars. Well, and I just had this discussion about the new two members of Congress from South Florida. Uh, uh, Congressman Debbie Powell got beat. Uh, she And uh, Congresswoman Shalala, as I mentioned, got beat. Uh we, we need to immediately and quickly uh, get to Congresswoman-elect Maria uh, Salazar and uh, Carlos Jimenez. I believe I got them right uh, for the two South Florida seats that flipped and are now Republican seats. They need to quickly learn what this industry means to their respective congressional districts. Uh, Congressman uh, Jimenez will represent from just south of Miami down to Key West. Well, Rodriguez Cigars is rolling cigars, selling cigars in Key West to tourists, to, to uh, cruise ships, to locals trying to bring that town back for, to its uh, tourism glory. This legislation would directly threaten that business even being in existence because Rodriguez Cigars in Key West told me that mail order saved them during the pandemic. Absolutely right. saved them. They and and uh, Congresswoman Salazar, Congresswoman elect Salazar, that's taking the Shalala seat. There's over 65 businesses in that congressional district alone associated with premium cigars. So quickly and expeditiously getting to those new members and educating them as to what this industry means economically to that South Florida economy is absolutely going to be critical between now and everybody getting sworn in. 
Well, I'm sure Representative-elect Salazar down from Miami is very familiar with Little Havana and with the cigar industry. So I have a very good feeling she will be uh, certainly on our side. Glenn, when we come back for the final including and concluding segment of this edition of the Cigar Dave Show podcast, I want to talk about your future. Because uh, now, after 12, 13 years of the Cigar Rights of America, a new future ahead. We will wrap it up with Glenn. A new cigar that has just hit retailer shelves, the Camacho Nicaragua. The Camacho Nicaragua is forged in fire. Some things just can't be tamed. If you are looking for a cigar with full frontal flavor, with notes of sweetness, spiciness, oaky flavors, with some cigar tobaccos from Nicaragua that are forged in volcanic soil, the Camacho Nicaragua is for you. It features... An Ecuadorian wrapper, Honduran binder, Honduran Dominican filler, as well as a special filler from Nicaragua, the volcanic island of Ometepe. What does that Ometepe tobacco give to the Camacho Nicaragua? It gives a very unique intensity with a unique oaky flavor. So if you're looking for a cigar that is medium to full, tons of flavor with a unique flavor spectrum, Give the Camacho Nicaragua a try. Available at DavidoffGeneva.com. Glenn, 13 years with the Cigar Rights of America, and I'm pleased to uh, say that you and I have gotten to become very good friends uh, and have gotten to know your wife, Jill, very well. And so it'll be very odd for me, not when there's a big uh, uh, industry item as uh, as it pertains to legislation or some, some uh, Washington lobbying, not being able to pick up the phone and say, hey, Glenn, give me the scoop. Give me the lowdown. I need to get you on the show. That's going to be an adjustment for you, for, for me, but probably going to be a bigger adjustment for you. So you announced back in, I think it was around June, July, that you were going to step down right on Election Day. So I'm sure you've had some time to think about things. Uh, and I know you were very well-known in Virginia lobbying circles. So any plans that you can announce or you have some things in the works? Well, first of all, you can call anytime. Oh, I will. Don't worry about it. <laughs> and and two, I, before we say another word, I want to thank you for your years of support for the cause. You've been a, a, a voice of freedom, a, a voice for the cause of Cigar Liberty, and you have echoed that message literally across the nation and around the world. And people, literally, my travels, your voice has, has given credibility to our message in states Far, far away from the state of Florida. So I appreciate that. But uh, as to what I'm going to be doing, yes, uh, I'm going to be consulting. I'm going to be advising uh, on state issues, the Premium Cigar Association. Uh, I've made myself available to advise the Boutique Cigar Association. I'm going to be, uh, re I have already reincorporated my consulting uh, outfit that I had prior to 2008. I'm going to be delving back into Virginia lobbying uh, fast and furiously. Uh, there's a lot of changes in, in Richmond and the Virginia legislature and uh, a lot of issues from transportation to homeland security to uh, human services to public safety and, and reform types of measures. So I'm going to be diving into a lot of issues uh, across the board, but I'm going to be keeping my foot in the door with the premium cigar industry advising, uh, especially coming up with these state legislative sessions starting in January, uh, 
providing advice and counsel to the Premium Cigar Association on how to confront what is predicted to be an onslaught of, of tax measures that are going to be threatening this industry. And these tax measures can virtually be predicted today because of the budget shortfalls being confronted in over 30 states. And tobacco taxes, I think what happened just this last week in a referendum in Colorado and Oregon that are going to be really jacking up cigar prices in those two states is indicative of what state legislatures could be doing across this country. So consumers are going to have to be mobilized. Retailers and and manufacturers are going to have to be mobilized. It just shows, it goes back to where we began this conversation. The political machine can never be off. And we're fortunate that today it's not, that there's resolve with the manufacturers and retailers to to keep the political machine open in Washington and in the states. And we're going to have to have a whole new set of strategies to confront this predictable onslaught of tax measures that are going to be threatening this industry, meaning cigar shops on Main Street America across this nation. So uh, the battle goes on, and I look forward to supporting it in any way possible. Well, Glenn, I wish you the best. I know we will be talking, and when your travels take you down to Florida or my travels take me up to Washington or Virginia. In fact, I'm going to make it a point that next summer, once this uh, damn CCP Wuhan virus is has left the country, that I'll plan on uh, visiting you up in uh, you're in Blue Ridge Mountain territory. You got some nice views up there, just south of Washington. We got an airport for that plane of yours, not too far away. All right, we'll have to visit. So, Glenn, all the best to you. We appreciate the many years of service to the cigar rights of America, not only to manufacturers but for consumers to keep their freedom to enjoy great cigars, for all the information and for your accessibility, because I've called you sometimes on 10 seconds notice saying, Glenn, i got to get you on right now, and you've always been very accommodating, including the last time I had you on, you were on vacation. I think you were on the beach or at the lake. And, uh, I was actually up on the st- Chesapeake Bay. Something about Chesapeake, Chesapeake Bay. Bay. When I'm there, I know Dave's going to call. <laughs> well, well, Glenn, all the best. Thanks for your uh, your service. You've been a wonderful friend, and you've got an open invitation down to the Cigar City of Tampa and to the Pleasure Palace anytime to smoke cigars, grill some steaks, enjoy some great libations, and uh, send my regards to Jill. Thank you, Dave. You're the absolute best. You're the voice of the industry. The great Glenn Loop, now the former. Executive Director of the Cigar Rights of America. Very odd to say that, but Glenn, we wish you all the best. Cigar Dave, the general saying, may your humidor always be full. May your cutter always be sharp. May your ash be extra, extra long. Semper Delictatio. Always pleasure. Long live the Alpha. Make America great again. Don't forget to subscribe to the Cigar Dave Show podcast. Give us a five-star review. And tomorrow, Saturday, November 7th, we will drop a special Bold Alpha podcast, uninterrupted, commercial-free, where I will just let loose on my comments about the travesty of this 2020 presidential election. In Yiddish, there's a word that my grandmother, I could hear she say, what a shanda! And that means what an absolute disgrace. What a disaster. So we'll get to it tomorrow on Bold Alpha. Thanks to Glenn Loop, the general. Now I'm going to go back to my cigar, and maybe I'll finish this bottle of Johnny Walker Red appropriately with all the nonsense going on this week.